Hello, fellow Kentuckians and other friends, and welcome to a new edition of My Old Kentucky Podcast. My name is Robert Connie, and joining me, as always, is Jasmine Smith. Jasmine, how are you today? I'm doing well, Robert. How are you? Doing well. Uh, we have, I guess, you know, a shorter show this week for, for everybody. There, there's a, a few things that we wanted to update everybody on, but we don't have a, a guest or anything. Uh, I'm going to be talking about some changes to the budget that have been, you know, have happened since last time we talked on the show. Uh, the budget's passed the House, both of the budget bills. We'll do a reminder about what the budget bills are, how they've changed over time, uh, and, and I'm going to be doing that. Jasmine's going to catch us up on a few different bills. I think she's got, like, three that she wants to highlight. Uh, most of them are bad. Uh, I would say most of them are bad. Some of them are good, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm ending on a good note. Good for you. Good for you. Uh, yeah, I guess there's four, and two of them are bad, and two of them are good. So, so that's good. Uh, and then um, Mayor Greenberg here in Louisville, he did his State of the City address last week, so I just kind of wanted to go over that, talk about some of the things that he talked about and what it might portend for the, you know, I guess second year of the Greenberg administration, which is underway now. Uh, and, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens there. So without any further ado, let's talk about the budget. Okay, Jasmine, remember, there are two budget bills this year, which is a little bit unusual. We have HB1 and HB6, and they have both cleared the House. However, as expected, they've undergone some changes uh, to some of the items that got a lot of press since the budgets were announced a few weeks ago. So what are the two budget bills? That's probably where we should start. We have HB6, which is the normal budget bill, the normal appropriations that go through state government every two years. That is going to, you know, is the state spending. And then HB1, which is additional spending out of the rainy day fund that a lot of like paying down the pensions um, and, and so, like some one some one time capital expenditures and a lot of stuff like that, paying for wastewater st- structures and stuff like that. So so those are the two different budget bills that are that are be, be making their way through the Kentucky legislature this year. So um, how have they changed? So first and foremost, I think the thing that I, I was hoping for and did see was that school transportation is fully funded. For the second year of the budget. So during the first year of the budget, uh, they did increase both years. But during the first year of the budget, school transportation is not fully funded. I think it's funded at like 90%. And the second year is funded at 100%. But this is the first time that school transportation is going to be fully funded since 2004. So two, wow. two decades. And we are now fully funding uh, school transportation. Now, that's, that's good. That's definitely better than... Um, the original bill significantly better. I think that that bill was like it was like seventy and eighty percent or something like that. It doesn't matter anymore because that's not what it is. Um, but yeah, th- this is a significant increase to the 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 budget for uh, for school transportation. But one of the things I, I think we need to just keep in mind as we talk about this year's budget is that there is no reason not to make fully funding immediate in the first year of the budget. We have we have the money yeah. to do it. We are adding we're adding a lot of money to the rainy day fund. We expect to add a bunch of revenue to the rainy day fund. There there isn't any reason not to fully fund but uh, school transportation, especially given how big of an issue it has been over the past couple past year or so. We should just go ahead and fully fund it for both years of the budget. There's no reason not to. And uh, that that is not what's going on. Again, it is significantly better than the budget we had. I'm really glad that they made the changes that they did, but they could have done better, uh, and and they didn't. What's I mean, what's KY policy's like motto this year? Is that we have the money, or the money's there? The money, or one of those. We get a 
I, I, show me the money I, we had that whole conversation right at the beginning of the session right before it started and i did hear from their communications director that he didn't appreciate the way i was making jokes about it so uh it is it is ha- show me the money uh we have the money the money is there <laughs> all of those work uh so there you go uh that no is- i lo- i think it's i think it's a great slogan i just couldn't remember exactly what it was <laughs> right uh the money the money is in the rainy day budget ready to be spent i think that that's that's what the one they should go with the rainy day fund is <laughs> that's way too, too long spend it. yeah yeah uh what do these changes amount to? Uh, in in from the changes in the budget, it's eighty million dollars in additional school transportation funding over the initial document. That's a lot of bus drivers, right? That's a lot of people who. Uh, that's a lot of buses. That's a lot of bus drivers. That's a lot of funding. And you know, I you know, it it is yet to be seen how this money might make a dent in some of the tra- transportation issues that our school systems have had. You know, it is just worth saying, like, I graduated from, I'll out myself, I graduated from high school in 2005. I never experienced a year where we didn't have fully tra- fully funded <laughs> school transportation, right? Uh, you know, we were, we were having full transportation, and that's the bus system that I'm used to. Like, whenever my perspective about what riding the bus looked like, which I did, uh, you know, when I was in high school, it is a fully funded school transportation system. That has not been the case for 20 years. All right. Yeah. So now we know how old I am, how long I've been out of high school. But uh, it that has not 2005 been the case. 2005 was the last time I rode the bus, I guess, because I got my license in 2016 or 2006. Yeah. I, yeah, I guess too, I got my license. I used to be able to say, June 4th, 20, 2003. So there you go. Uh, yeah, that's right. I had to ride the bus like once or twice after that. But that is, yeah, that that's the perspective that a lot of us are walking around with. So, uh, you know, hopefully with a fully funded transportation system, school transportation system, we can get back to that where kids are getting to school on time and are able to go to all of their classes without without having, you know, to be tardy nearly every day because the buses don't show up on time. Uh, we'll so let's really hope that this school funding, this fully funding school transportation, is going to make a big difference there. So school transportation, I think, was the big headline there. But the, the next big thing was that one of the one of Governor Bashir's main problems with the budget is that the legislature the legislature decided to cut funding for most of the unfilled positions in uh, that that didn't have anybody sitting in the seat currently. Uh, and it does appear that most of those cuts have been restored. And that, that's according to Crystal Staley, who's the governor's spokesperson. So it doesn't seem like it was intentional that the legislature cut a bunch of those positions and with this communication, you know, they were able to solve that problem. So basically this was a really good catch by the governor's administration and their budget people that they were like, Hey guys, you know, you're really going to cripple the executive uh, branch if you cut all of these positions and they were, they were able to get it back in there. So, you know, the legislature cannot be trusted to write the budget. So <laughs> I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that somebody's reading it and being able to tell them, you know, you, you screwed up here. Let's put that money back and that they were able to do that. So that's, that's really good. Um, yeah, that was a major point of contention from the governor, and it does seem like it is now fixed. So those changes were the changes to HB6. There were some other ones, but those are kind of the biggest ones that, that were the main takeaways. There are also some changes to HB1, again, the additional expenditures bill, which is looking to spend some of the rainy day fund. 
So first of all, there was a new $100 million fund created for supporting what they're calling mega developments. Uh, those are developments that cost more than $10 million altogether. Um, the Herald Leader was the, the place I saw that called this out. And they said that, you know, one of the reasons that this had been like a big issue is that there had been a talk about a mega project in Madison County. I don't know any details about what that could be, and I didn't see any in the Herald Leader piece. So I don't know what, what they're going to mega develop there in Berea or Richmond or other communities there in Madison County. But uh, that is apparently uh, one of the things that, that they're thinking about. An additional change to HB1 is uh, $50 million for the counties that are expecting new battery plants. You know, we talk mostly about the ones there in Hardin County, but there is also another battery plant in Warren County down in Bowling Green. I don't think that one is with four of them. I might be with GM. I'm not totally, don't quote me on that. But uh, I do know that those two counties are expecting those new battery parks. So there's going to have a lot of infrastructure needs, a lot of needs because there's expected to be some growth in those areas. And so they're trying to get ahead of that with $50 million in new spending for those counties. So that's the big changes that happened inside of the bill. They passed out of the House pretty easily. So in, in committee, they, they passed out of committee last week too. Josie Raymond was the only person to vote against HB6, the main budget in committee. Um, and then you know, all the other Democrats on the Appropriations and Revenue Committee passed on the, on the vote. Uh, and then once it got to the floor, all Democrats except for Sherilyn Stevenson, Ashley Tackett-Lafferty, and Tina Bojanowski voted against it on the floor. Those three Democrats voted yes. I think all the other Republicans voted yes, so it was a pretty lopsided vote um, for for HB6. HB1 was even more lopsided. I don't think anybody voted against it in committee or on the floor. I think the big issue anyone could have with HB1 is that it's not big enough, um, but I do think Democrats are mostly like, mm -hmm. well, I'm not going to vote against it because it needs to be bigger, and we vote against it, it would be not there. So that that is that is good. Um, wish it was more, but I'm glad that they're spending what they what they are. Okay, so the Senate has received both of these budget bills, and they are undoubtedly going to make some changes. That's just the nature of the beast. So, you know, we'll see if the changes are sufficient to the needs of the state. I'm significantly doubting that they're going to be up to, you know, the, the task of solving the state's problems. But I do have some hope that, that the Senate's going to be able to do some of the, the big things that are missing, like universal pre-K funding, daycare funding, or teacher raises. Um, I don't know. You know, it does seem like the, the Senate is a little bit more collegial than the House is these days, which is kind of a flip from what I thought like three or four years ago. It felt like the yeah. House was a little and the, the Senate had been used to steamrolling Democrats. And, you know, the Democrats had used to be used to being in control over there in the House. And now it seems like that the House Republicans just don't care at all about the democrats and uh the senate at least the senate democrats that i speak to most often seem to be interested in um you know working together you, you are also seeing like katura heron jumping from the house to the senate saying that it seems like a better place to work so that's you know that 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 that's that's that so maybe the senate um is willing to listen a little bit more willing to add some of these things to the budget um they will make some changes it will likely go to a conference committee but out of the house that is what these bills look like Anything about the the budget you got questions about, Jasmine, other uh, context or anything else you want to talk about regarding the budget? No, I think you covered it well. Okay. Thanks. Well, let's talk about some of these other bills that you wanted to talk about uh, in your bill update. Well, I was actually going to talk about the budget update, and then I saw that you did it, and I was like, well, that's nice. I don't have to do that. All right. Well, there you go. So, okay, the first one is um, new bills that – were a new bill, twin bills that were filed um, about adult businesses. So 
Senator Lindsey Titchener and Representative Nancy Tate have filed bills in their respective chambers aimed at regulating adult businesses. So their House Bill 402 and Senate Bill 147. And I think Nancy Tate and Lindsey Titchener certainly have reputations for um, filing bills over more of these like social issues. Nancy Tate has filed a lot of abortion bills. Lindsay Titchener carried this issue last year um, and her attempt was Senate Bill 115, which would have significantly restricted the ability for adult performances, which would have included drag shows. And they said that this year's bill is not focused on the performers, but targets the businesses. But targeting the businesses inherently impacts the performers and their ability to perform and has an economic impact on them. So the performers are still targeted, um, just not in like the criminal penalty way (laughs) um, that, that they may have been in the former version of this bill. So if passed businesses like adult bookstores adult cabarets, um, things like that. They could not operate within 933 feet of a child care facility, park, or other area where children are present. Um, so 933 is a very specific number. And apparently that specific distance is like the length of a city block. Um but in can I mean like that may be the length of a city block in like New York City or something, but I don't know. Here in Kentucky, um our blocks are are all different sizes. <laughs> so Yeah, what um, you mean by average is always a little funky. it just is seems arbitrary, but you know, a lot of yeah. it seems pretty arbitrary. <laughs> Right, exactly. Um, The bill would define adult-oriented business as a place where a sexually explicit performance occurs, and that includes drag performances, and people under 18 could not attend such performances, so it still um, excludes minors from being able to attend any such performance Violations could result in civil penalties, losing your business license or your liquor license. Nancy Tate said, for decades, minors under the age of 18 have been protected from sexual activity, sexual materials, and sexual performances. This language is a continuance of the spirit of these previous public protections. So those are the bills that have been filed last year. I believe Senate bill 115 passed the full Senate and then died after that is where, yeah, that seems right to me is where we left it. Um, and it, this one was, you know, of, I think Senate bill 150 was certainly the bill that was talked about the most um, in the media and had the most controversy. But I would say Senate Bill 115 was probably like the next most talked about. And it brought a lot of people out to speak against it. 
um, and committee and yeah. And so, you know, I don't, I don't know if these bills um, will go anywhere, but I mean, These bills are just like what it kind of reminds me like it's just they're extremely restrictive because 933 feet from a child care facility park or area where children are present. I mean, that means like these places couldn't exist at all. Um, Is that uh, pretty much it? (laughs) I don't have a good sense of how big 933 feet is, but it it, it seems pretty big I, I don't know like i'm thinking about there's a lot of schools or a lot of places that could fit this because of like where are what is it parks and uh schools and you know whatever child care child care facilities so like daycares and it says other area where children are present yeah. that could be literally that could be anywhere right that could be and there, i mean there's parks that span like large parts of the yeah. cities too and like like we have laws that keep people with like sex offense convictions from living within a thousand feet of any of these places. And those people have an impossible time finding a place to live right. because of those laws. And like this, this would make it impossible for businesses that have drag performances or cabarets or what have you Um to find a place for those performances to occur yeah to me the big the big issue here with you know the 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 it's the same as it was last year is it's like what is adult performance why does it include stuff like drag what else does it include it doesn't seem well defined as to what this is what are your you know your morals around like this and why are you trying to enforce them on everybody else i don't think that there is a big problem with like children sneaking into adult bookstores or like strip clubs or whatever that doesn't seem like a big problem that we've got um and and this is just something that makes you know businesses who might get caught up in it unnecessarily a lot of headaches for them um and it doesn't seem like it's solving any real problem except for scoring points among like socially conservative groups yeah so minors are already not allowed in Places like, you know, like nightclubs, adult bookstores, adult video stores, anything like if, you know, if those still existed, children are already not allowed there. Um, And so why do we have to ensure that these places are an extra 933 feet from where a child could be? And then just talking about drag performances, I went to a Taylor Swift drag brunch last summer where moms brought their daughters and they had like the best time of their lives. Like little girls dressed up in like Taylor Swift themed dresses the drag queens were wearing Taylor Swift outfits. Everyone knew every word to every song, screamed it at the top of their lungs. Nothing was sexually explicit about it. Like everyone had so much fun, regardless of age. And I don't know, Jasmine, this, this story may get me to, to turn to Lindsay Tishner and Nancy Tate's side on uh, H. Robert, please. <laughs> 
no uh but no it, it is true like does that count as an adult performance just because it's men you know what like whatever like it is i don't know it's drag queens you know what a drag queen is it, it, it are drag queens inherently sexualized inherently adult businesses and why is that the case uh you know obviously you have all these experiences all these experiences have been shared with um you know nancy tate and Lindsay titchener about how this isn't the case and yet they're still pushing forward for this kind of stuff um, which is just really disappointing um and i mean it just kind of belays that this is all just about like scoring points and not about actually enacting good policy yeah absolutely so right now those bills were just filed last week um they haven't gotten committee hearings yet or anything like that um but we wanted to put them on your radar since there are issues that came up last year. So the next one that we're going to talk about is a moment of silence bill. So this one is House Bill 96, sponsored by Daniel Fister. And under this bill, public schools would be required to have a one to two minute moment of silence at the start of each day. Um, so the reason this is a moment of silence is to, you know, to try to get past obvious establishment clause issues students can decide what they get to do with that time parents would be notified of the policy and be encouraged to offer guidance on how to use the time but school personnel could not advise instruct students on how to use the time um, but there have been quotes from representatives um, for example republican representative tom smith said What's been lacking in schools is taking the time to thank God for our day. And I think that's what's going to watch over our education and our kids. Um, so it, you know, it, it's kind of a way to encourage prayer uh, without saying that's what it is. Um, and that passed the House 79 to 17. A couple Democrats voted for it. Um, Representative Sherilyn Stevenson and Ashley Tackett Lafferty. Um, Ashley Tackett Lafferty being from the lone Democrat from Eastern Kentucky and Sherilyn Stevenson, who um, has won very, very close and tough races um, yes. in Lexington and parts of Scott County. Her district, I mean, her district is almost rural, right? She lives in Lexington, but mm -hmm. they drew that district to beat her and then she won so yeah um, um and then one republican representative kim banta voted against the measure um so the aclu has co expressed concerns about the bill um so i'd be interested to see if there is any legal action if it passes or if it is you know broad enough um that this doesn't have any establishment concerns because you know like on its face, like, there's not anything particularly wrong with it. You know, it, it can be just, like, a minute of mindfulness or, or whatever. Um, but we we know who's sponsoring and co-sponsoring and supporting the bill. Um, and, and that's what makes it, like, feel bad. Um, and so... I don't know. This sort of policy, like having a one to two minute moment at the beginning of each day that is very careful to avoid establishment clause stuff is like something I would not care so much about if it was like a school principal trying to establish it at their school. 
right? You know, there's all kinds of school administrators in, in, you know, conservative areas that want to do stuff like this. And as long as they're pretty careful, I don't care. The thing that really kind of irks me is that this is like enforcing it in every school in the state, right? This is like, you have to have this. And, you know, yeah, it's it's like what <laughs> I said, schools you. already do this. Like Kelly and Timoney talked about, I think. A school like maybe his kid's school or something already doing like a mindfulness moment and he thinks it's really good and everything. And. And that's fine. I yeah. That's fine. Right. You know, if your school principal is like, we want to start the day like this. And we, I really think as a principal and as an administrator, like, I think this is the best way for my kids to start the day. And it's the way I want to run my school. I have no problem with that. Again, as long as you're careful around establishment clause issues. But we know what this is. This is a mm-hmm. way for them to try to sneak in something along the lines of prayer to every school in, in the state. And I can already tell you, like, I went to Manual High School. It would be, it's going to be, a, if this passes, there will be some hilarious protests that occur in those school in that hallway and those hallways during those one to two minutes that they're enforced to have this moment of silence they will find some way to make a joke out of it to make some sort of ridiculous situation and and it's just unnecessary this is just stupid like this is if if you believe that this is the best way for kids to start the day talk to your school board that's the best place to do it where you live talk to your school board or talk to talk to your sbdm talk to the you know your kids your kids' principles. That's the level of government that this belongs at. The legislature should not be forcing children, should not be forcing schools to have a one to two minute moment of silence. That's just ridiculous. It's a total waste of time for the legislature. Um, and, you know, it likely has constitutional issues. I would be shocked if this passed if the ACLU didn't do something about it. Um, but like you said, they do seem to be being pretty careful. So I don't know how it's going to end up. It's not like blatantly. Uh, mm-hmm. outside of the Constitution, but um, I would be surprised if there wasn't some challenge to it. So another really dumb idea that is seems to be uh, making some progress there in the legislature. Yeah, Republicans, like, when it comes to teacher raises, they like to say, we're going to, you know, you get this funding and we're going to let the local school boards decide what to do with it. But then, you know, when it comes to this... They, they've got a mandated everywhere. No, no local control whatsoever. Local control for prayer in schools. No local control when it comes to uh, no other way around. Local other control, way around. Local control when it comes to to not giving teachers raises, but no local control when it comes to making sure that the kids say a prayer at the start of the day. Yeah, it, like add add those two minutes to lunch. <laughs> there's not nearly enough time for lunch, which yeah. I know there's a bill to actually extend the lunch period i don't know if that's going to go anywhere but if they does if if that doesn't go anywhere just add add these two minutes to the lunch period in my opinion love that idea (laughs) all right uh so we'll end with a couple um good things that are moving in the legislature so the first one is house bill 115 this is sponsored by Representative Kim Mosier, and this bill would get rid of insurance copays and cost sharing for diagnostic breast cancer screenings like mammograms. And so that is great. It passed 93 to 0 in the House. So that bill will move on to the Senate. And then another health related bill that passed the House, House Bill 274. This one's sponsored by Representative Danny Bentley. 
and it would allow Kentucky pharmacies to continue administering vaccines to children ages five to seven with parent guardian consent. And so I didn't know that that wasn't something that they couldn't already do. Um, So I looked up the bill and it looks like the current law is ages nine to 17 and this one would make it five to 17. The original age in the bill was ages three to 17, which I think is better um, because it, it opens space up for children of other ages because it, you know, it is harder to get into pediatricians offices for vaccines and pharmacies are more widely available. Um, But there was an amendment to raise it to ages five to 17, but um, overall that's still a, a good bill that provides, you know, more resources for vaccine access for children. Yeah. I mean, vaccination for kids is such a really important issue. I mean, you've seen it come back uh, in, in places in the United States in, in a real serious way. And a lot of that has to do with cultural issues, but a lot of that has to do with access um, and, and getting kids every avenue available to get vaccines is is really important pharmacies are absolutely able to to do this kind of stuff you know whatever i i think i agree with you i think three would be a much better age there's a lot of vaccines that are needed uh around that age and having that available but you know there's also a lot more that happen when kids are school age and i get that um so you know i'm i'm all i'm all for that um Regarding HB 115, the the lack of copays for diagnostic, uh, you know, breast cancers and uh, you know, and also mammograms, like this is something that was supposed to happen with the Affordable Care Act, uh, and it, it's just been the way that the bill is written. It's been really confusing uh, and and hard to enforce just because of the language in the bill and the way <laughs> that insurance doesn't want to pay and the uh, mm-hmm. the hospitals and uh, providers want to charge a ton of money because they. Know know that the insurer is now 100% liable for the money like it 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 is a big mess um and and, you know these type of bills have to be written really carefully because of the way that our healthcare system works you know and and the way that prices and costs are (sighs) confusingly not intertwined all the time um and so that i hope it i hope it passes and, and then i hope it makes a difference um, the, the most important thing is that that type of screening is available to every woman or every, every person who needs it. So, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully both of these are, are making, or will make a difference in, in terms of our, our health. So thanks for pointing them out, Jasmine. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's end by talking about the, uh, state of the city here in Louisville, Kentucky. So Mayor Craig Greenberg, he issued his state of the city address last week. And he mixed several themes he's talked about before along with some new stuff that, you know, could be kind of exciting. Um, I think the main thing he was driving home about was was gun safety. Uh, and, and I think that that's, you know, kind of like a four-quadrant issue that everybody's really concerned with in the whole city for some form or fashion. Of course, the city is pretty boxed in by the state in terms of passing policies that can deal with gun reform, but the mayor touted some interventions that have been put into place, like the Summit Wellness Center, which I think everybody everybody thinks is a good idea. I think that is a good idea, uh, along with stuff like appointing Jacqueline Gwynne Royale as the chief of LNPD and expanding um, the, the Crisis Call Diversion Program and the Group Violence Intervention Program. So, you know, a couple of these intervention programs, I think that people are 
a lot of the people who do this work say are good. I, you know, I'm not sure if uh, people who are concerned about violence are going to be pointing to the new chief of police as like a, a serious asset, especially since she's been in the news for some not so flattering things lately. Um, but, you know, I do think the mayor did a good job of showing the work he's been trying to do with a limited capacity that's given to him by the state. You know, they're not going to be able to pass any kind of major reform. So they're doing the things that they think they can, they are able to do with like uh, the, the crisis called a diversion program, I think is really cool because it's like um, if you don't want to involve the police in a situation that involves a crisis like this, there is somebody else you can call. They're trying to expand the hours because the pilot has gone quite well. So I do think it is a good um you know that's 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 definitely a good thing, and the, the summer mm-hmm. wellness center that that one that, that one's not as good. That one's like the cops' gym or whatever. I don't know. So that's uh... yeah. Don't care about that, but <laughs> the crisis call diversion program is really good, and the, and the group violence intervention program that is like um, that that apparently like that's like. Um, you know, having community uh, community leaders talk to people who are, um, you know, at risk of committing violent acts and trying to do what they can to prevent that kind of stuff. That that's, I guess that's good. So, you know, there isn't a lot they can do. They can give the cops a gym. They can hire a chief of police. They can. If the summit wellness center also does something to prevent cops from committing violent acts. <laughs> Then I support that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm not sure what the program the offer there is, uh, but you know what? If somebody's going to lead that class, I think it should be you, Jasmine. You should lead the <laughs> the cop violence intervention program. Uh, okay. The, the mayor also talked about significant public works that the city is putting into place, including uh, a new park in the California neighborhood. That's in Louisville's West End, uh, as well as three new libraries across the whole city. I think that there's one in Fern Creek, and I think there's maybe two in the West End, the Parkland Library and maybe the Portland Library. So uh, three new libraries. And then um, there was also a big vision for the Belvedere. Um, that, if you aren't aware of where that is, that's like there by the Galt House. I, I, You know what happened to me, Jasmine, the other day? I've lived in Louisville like my whole life, and people talk about the Belvedere all the time. And I had to be like, you know what? I don't know where the Belvedere is. I don't know what it is. And, of course, I've been there a bunch of times. I just didn't know it was the Belvedere. So it's like, yes, okay, that's the Belvedere. Is that Robert. <laughs> It's the thing there by the gold house. Yeah, so um, it, it's it's a cool little public area that's owned by the city. Um, they do a lot of stuff there. I think, like, uh, World Fest is there World every Fest year. is there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple of other things that happen there every year. When I was younger, um, there was a lot of stuff that went on out there. I Once I discovered where, <laughs> where this place was, I was like, oh, yeah, we used to go there all the time. But it is pretty dated. It's pretty old. It's, it's just kind of like a big concrete area out there by the river uh and and there there is this big vision that the mayor has to spend 30 million dollars to renovate it and turn it into like a world-class public space um you know it it's it is a cool area that the city owns and i think it has the capability to to be something special if we spent the money to do it um the city has been planning with a big design firm who's done a lot of big public works things. They have this big portfolio that they've showed off, and they've done a lot of work in places like New York City, Shanghai, China. They've done stuff in uh, Japan, and but then also in like Minneapolis and like all over the world. There's all these really cool, neat-looking, very you know modern and postmodern architected uh, like spaces that they have put together. And you know it would be cool if we had something like that. Uh, again, the mayor has a vision to spend twenty million dollars to do this. I think I said thirty million, but it's twenty million dollars. Um, I think that would be really neat. You know, if we we again we've got the money. The state's got the money to spend on stuff. We have a lot of needs and. Maybe 
maybe this doesn't uh, rise to like you know some of the f- more physical needs that our uh, citizens have, but it at least is something uh, that would be neat to spend some money on. So hopefully, you know that that gets done here. Uh, another thing the mayor talked about was his initiatives around jobs and universal pre-K, which are, of course, major parts of his pre-election platform. A lot of people are anxiously awaiting progress on those, both of those things, like his jobs pro- program and his pre-K program. Um, you know, these are big programs, though. The stuff he wants to do with jobs and the stuff he wants to do with pre-K are big, really game-changing things. And, of course, those don't happen overnight. The mayor, though, has been in office for a year. Uh, your term only lasts for four. So, you know, this is the time when we need to start seeing some movements and progress. Um, and that's one of the things he wanted to report on to say, like, we are doing some stuff. We are making some progress. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I do think I'm glad that he's reminding us uh, about these types of things. Housing also goes into this group. He talked about housing um, in the same kind of way is to be like, here is the plan. It is the plan. I'm acknowledging that we're working on it. So, so there you go. So so what is the you know what is the point of the state of the city? I think like that that speech and this kind of thing, um, it's a way to to pause and take account of the accomplishments and plans for an executive branch. Mayor Greenberg's first year has been, I would say, tumultuous. Right? You know, I think he's yeah. gotten a lot of criticism. Um, mm-hmm. Some of it earned some of it i thought was a little silly um it's been both but it's been up and down for him um and that is i think expected mayor like i think we talked about this before anybody was elected mayor and greg fisher was the mayor this is this is bound to be an impossible job nobody yeah nobody i think the mayor of a medium to large size city is like that seems like one of the hardest jobs to me or the job with like the lowest approval yeah you're just bound to be hated. You know, you're just bound to be nobody's going to think you're doing a good job. Um, and, and so, you know, that that is the case. And, and so I do think uh, that we were expecting it to go about like it did. Um, but I do think he struck the right tone during this speech, which was kind of like taking stock of the place that he that the city is acknowledging some of the challenges that we've had, um, talking about some of the plans that he had in the past and how he's working on them and introducing some new ideas or some, you know, progress he's made on some of the plans that he's had. Um, and so, you know, I hope it portends a better and more stable second year and the rest of the first term for, for Mayor Greenberg. So, you know. All in all, I think it was a pretty good speech, but it, at the end of the day, it's just a speech, and we are awaiting results, but you know, you, you, that you, you get what you get in a speech like this. So that is what the mayor said. Anything you want to say about the state of the city there, Jasmine? I didn't listen to it. I just kind of caught the highlight, so I appreciate you giving your opinion on like the tone that he had in it. Um it sounds like he was kind of like realistic about like where things are. Um, I guess since he gave the state of the city some pretty, pretty major downtown Louisville news has happened that Humana is moving out of downtown and so is fifth third bank. Um, So I think those are pretty big things that downtown is going to have to deal with. And so I'm going to be interested to see um, kind of what happens with downtown after, after those companies are gone. Yeah. I try not to pull my punches too much. Uh, I am employed by one of the companies you named there. So I don't want to <laughs> say too much except for that. Um, I will say that I think 
well, it is the case that Humana is consolidating their workforce into a location that is still downtown. Um, I mean, I, this is true of most insurance operations. And one of the real problems with the way that Louisville's downtown has kind of failed to recover is that mm-hmm. so much of our downtown um, headquarters and people who had worked downtown um, were in industries that are specifically well suited to work from home. Yeah. Um, and insurance being high, 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 high on the list of like, you can absolutely do that job at home. And Humana has really embraced uh, work from home. So, you know, there are still a lot of employees um, at, at Humana that live in Louisville that may or may not work uh, in their basement. And that may or may not be me. <laughs> <laughs> I think just one thing that I'd like to see from Mayor Greenberg's time, in addition to you know, solving some of our housing and homelessness issues and things like universal pre-K is making our downtown better because places like Lexington have done it um, and we haven't. And so um, that's something that I would like to see from his administration. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're starting from a very different spot, you know, Lexington has the asset of the University of Kentucky. They have the asset of Transylvania University. They have the asset of there's a lot of stuff that is adjacent to downtown or or people are already kind of downtown a lot because of uh, different reasons. The reasons people came downtown typically in Louisville were to work Um, and that that is no longer the case for a lot of folks, Um, you know, turn Humana Tower into uh, housing. Why not? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think that. Or Spirit I think, Halloween. We can turn it into Spirit Halloween. <laughs> I think that's true that they're definitely in different places, but Lexington also used to have zero like downtown liveliness, mm-hmm. and now it does. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think ours can certainly be improved upon. That's that's for sure. There's there is definitely a lot of room for improvement in Louisville's downtown. That is for sure. So. Um, you know, I, and I know that that's something that everybody is pretty passionate about that works on the issue. So it's 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 tough to make progress, but I certainly hope that the work pays off in some form or fashion. All right. Um, that's this week. Uh, you're gone next week, Jasmine, so we'll miss you. But we have other things that we're going to be doing. Um, but anyways, Jasmine, tell the people how they can get a hold of us. They can find us on Twitter and Instagram at my old KY pod. They can like our Facebook page and listen to our show on the podcast app of their choice. We also have a sporadic newsletter. You can subscribe to at tinyletter.com slash my old Kentucky newsletter. And you can support what we're doing on Patreon at patreon.com slash my old Kentucky podcast. And last but not least, we are part of the Dimcast Network and the Ford Kentucky Network. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. <laughs>